Good morning, everyone. I like to get close to you. Eventually, people will be parked out in the... Anyway, getting away from me, right? If you didn't notice on the way in, our pictorial directories are in. Everybody who picked one up, put it down during the sermon, because you're all going to be, let's see, how. oh, look at my face, it's terrible, you know. Right? That's what you always do. What's the first thing you do when you get one of these? Yeah, you're honest, right? I think I even did that. So there you go. I have a couple of uh, things I want to say as we uh, launch in today. And I don't know, uh, where did Mike end up? Where did Mike, where'd you go? Mike, what did you mean by plowing through? Great, plowing through. Okay, okay, whatever. I didn't, didn't know whether to be offended or, you know, what. But plowing through. It's like, this is just hard ground, you know, plowing through. Um, we've been trying to interact with you and, um, and have some demonstration of grace at work. A few weeks back, I had uh, Eddie, uh, Teddy, share his, I know his name is Teddy. Isn't he Ted? Yeah. Anyway, Teddy... It is, Ed. See, I was, that was prophetic. So I'm, I'm more in the spirit than I knew. Anyway, I didn't even know that. Anyway, he came and shared a little bit of how the Holy Spirit changed his paradigm of what he was feeling and thinking, right? And then last week, I, I invited um, Steve Atulis to uh, share a little bit about his journey. And I uh, want to encourage you, if you haven't uh, gotten to know these fine folks, you really should. And uh, in a few weeks, we're going to have uh, people from the Walter Hoving, you've been seeing the, the ad for it, where, where people are struggling with really hardcore issues and walking by the grace of God. What perfect um, illustrations of grace illustrated than lives that are carried by the grace of God, changed by the grace of God, etc.? And one of the things that God's blessed me with is uh, it seems like he keeps bringing some of the right people my way to encourage me because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a real Debbie Downer, you know what I mean? And I'm kidding. Knock it off. But anyway, uh, don't be so agreeable. And, uh, you know, he's brought uh, the, the, uh, the Balaams into my sphere of circle, the Straits, who have all been encouraging. And then recently... There's a couple, maybe you've met them, and I was going to introduce them today, but they must be away. Uh, the Clowers. Have you met Dave and Nikki? Well, if you haven't, make sure you do. But what's happening in their lives is that uh, he has had, he's in the military. He's an MP at West Point and a hardcore, so don't mess around. He's going to get hired as my bodyguard. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, he has sensed a call to ministry. And uh, there is a governmentally subsidized opportunity for him to work as an intern on the house for us. And so we're going to get six months of uh, service out of him and, uh, and bless him as well as he seeks to uh, pursue ministry and have the leading of God. Some of you already made friends with him and you're all rah-rah. They are really fine folks. You'll really enjoy them. And so uh, we'll see. And you pray for them. That And I'll get another chance to have them stand up, make sure you know who they are. Okay, so I wanted you to know about the illustrations of grace and uh, God's sovereignty in bringing people into our our circle together. Um, I have one other thing I need to say. 
and uh, it seems like I get things wrong every once in a while. Anybody else have that problem? I mean, I've been like wrong twice in my life that I know of, and and uh, I'm keeping count. And if you don't get uh, sick humor, you're never going to get me. So I might as well just tell you that up front. Um, one was when somebody pushed back on me and said, well, you know everything or you're right about everything. And I went, oh, man, if I've communicated that, I am totally wrong. Because there's a lot of things I don't know anything about. I do know quite a bit about the Bible, however. And uh, so I just want to make that clear. The other thing that somehow I've communicated is I'm too busy to help you. I'm just telling you what I've been getting. I'm too busy to help you. People say to me, I know you're busy. I say, you said that, not me. But maybe I did somewhere along the line. But let me make something clear. If you're struggling with something spiritual and you want to come see me, I will always make time for you in my schedule. That is not an issue. I only have one rule. You have to call Jody because she's the gatekeeper. She keeps track of my schedule. It's not because I'm too busy. It's because she's the one who keeps track of where I am when. Is that simple enough? Okay. So the reason I say that is because it's like, give Jody a call and then I never hear from you. And it's like, does, what, I don't know what I'm communicating. Am I communicating I'm too busy? Am I communicating that Jody is scary? ferocious, mean, I don't know, but uh, don't hesitate, pick up the phone and call, and uh, if you need to. Is that clear? Just do it. Yeah, like Nikkei. Just do it. Nobody gets that. All right, security. All right, so by the way, a couple of things I should have mentioned about uh, the Cloers. Uh, He is very well trained in shooter response and all of that stuff, and he's going to help us head up that security issue, which we know needs to be done. People say, oh, it'll never happen here. I'm sure everybody said that before it happened, right? So he'll be helping us with that and a few other things. It'll be kind of fun to see what God does. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and uh, follow along with me today, if you would. Um, In Zechariah chapter 8, it's 945 in the Bible in the chair in front of you, in case you don't have your own. If you're not used to finding Zechariah, it's not usually bedstand reading, probably. Go to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, back up two chapters, and you'll be, uh, two books, two books, and you'll be in Zechariah. Page 945. Zechariah chapter 8, starting in verse 20. Zechariah chapter 8, starting in verse 20, and I'm going to pray after this. So would you, are, are you able to hold your Bible and stand with me? Is that, to, and you don't have to stand if you're indisposed in any way, but uh, let's, let's hear the word of the Lord here. Verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, it will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I also will go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The word of the Lord. 
Amen. Let's pray together. We could plow through passages like this if we're reading through our uh, daily Bibles. We've seen similar texts in Isaiah, Hosea. There are places that speak about the mountain of the Lord being exalted and peoples from every tribe, tongue, and nation streaming to it. Saying, let's go up and have the Lord teach us his ways. Because suddenly... Something has turned on the light in the minds of the unbelieving to recognize that real life and real satisfaction and everything they're looking for in all the wrong places is to be found in their creator. And so the mountain of the Lord is exalted. So let's not speak in mysteries, God. That is your kingdom people, your church rising up with authority And drawing not only your people to yourself, but those who are not yet your people. Lord, your name needs to be exalted and you, King Jesus, need to be lifted up. And I can think of nothing that I could do better for you, serving you this morning, than to exalt the mighty name of Jesus. And the fact that he is the head of the church and he is the one that said, I will build my church and even the councils of hell will not prevail against it. We live in a world where we look around and say, is it prevailing anywhere? But yes, it is prevailing. It has and it will again. And even if America seems to be on the back burner right now, your kingdom will prevail. And as my brother Jay prayed a few moments ago, one day we know that all will be set right and we will be living in eternal joy and bliss with you. But until then, there are opportunities for down payments of the Spirit to exalt the name of Jesus in and among his people. For some reason, you have chosen to get your business done through your people. Your church is plan A, and there's no plan B. Help us. Give us ears to hear, we pray. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen Amen and Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So in this last week, and uh, my title today is Awakening Grace I've been on that theme for about three weeks, as you know, and I've never gotten to finish one of my sermons. So uh, now I've got like, this is like the second quarter of it, and I, no, I'm kidding. I'm hoping I can wind most of this part down today, but awakening grace, the fact that there are, last week I, I talked about the dynamics of the spirit. The spirit moves in to do things in people's lives. How many of you guys know that this last week... Um, We lost a very, uh, two weeks ago, a very famous brother who has been called America's pastor. In fact, I'm going to put his picture up. There he is in his uh, little bit younger days preaching with uh, authority as he always did. And um, the reason I wanted to talk about him for a minute is because uh, here is a legacy of grace, really, God's grace got a hold of this young man. He was a farm boy and 
he used to preach out to the trees and what have you, the cows probably. In fact, if you've ever been to his uh, homestead down there in uh, North Carolina, Charlotte, they got a big cow there, uh, you know, probably his first convert, right? <laughs> Dr. Billy Graham. And uh, some of you have been around a while know that he was my spiritual dad. And uh, his funeral was this past Friday, two days ago. And uh, here's a man who has had the privilege of preaching to 210 million people in 185 countries around the world. In fact, the next picture shows just one. Every time I see these and see those masses of people going down, I just lose it. And I know there's counselors there and there's other Christians, and I get, I, I've been in them, I know. But man, a lot of lives have been transformed because of one person available with his team to serve God and make something happen for Jesus. Now, I want to make it clear, this is called evangelism. That's not revival. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but that is outreach, evangelism. This last week, I pulled up a YouTube. It had Kathy Lee Gifford uh, sharing with, uh, who was interviewing her? Um, I wrote it down, Megan Kelly. And she was just out there about her personal relationship with Christ, having come through a Billy Graham association and, um, and how she held her dying husband in her arms as he went to be with Jesus because of that same faith in spite of our weaknesses and brokenness. If you know anything about her story, uh, here she was just beaming and she was out there and it was like, that was awesome just listening to it. So I'm grateful for that work of grace in his life and through his life and into other lives, including me. Kind of fun. So my daughter, I never bring my cell phone turned on to church, ever. But I have it on right now because my uh, third daughter gives me a, call, uh, a text and says, Hey, Dad, I heard that Billy Graham went to be with the Lord. I'm glad that God used him to bring you into the kingdom. Meet Mom and have us kids. Love you. <laughs> so, you don't like our family? You can blame Billy Graham. There you go. I don't want to delete that. Let me turn this off so nobody calls me at the last minute, I hope. Don't you hate See, technology's from the... Anyway, if it starts ringing, ignore it. So, God got a hold of my life, turned it around, had an impact on other people, and there are... Thousands upon thousands of people affected by one man's legacy of grace. And it's not a matter of competing with how many numbers or anything else, because every one of us can have a legacy of grace and share it beyond ourselves, in fact, what we're called to. So one of the issues I have to address eventually about harmony is that there's got to be a point where we really intentionally start looking outwardly. Um, in fact, I, I don't want to park on it today because I'll probably run out of time again. And I want to be uh, able to park on it uh, carefully. But it is because of the grace of God that lives are transformed. And let me remind you of what grace is. Grace means, as Millard Erickson, the theologian, said, that God supplies us with undeserved favors. Everybody get that? I didn't deserve the day I was still, I was living at home 
and I'm watching television. I don't know why I felt inclined, being a nutcase that I was. I also don't know why my mother didn't throw me out of the house because I was an incorrigible little character. And I'm watching Billy Graham, probably a Charlotte Crusade, as I recall. Don't even remember what he said. But I remember the third night, all of a sudden, the lights came on. I don't remember the words. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to ask Jesus into my heart. Anybody ever heard that? Whatever that means. All of a sudden, the lights came on. I didn't deserve it. Grace is God sharing with us. He supplies us with undeserved favors. He deals with us not according to our deeds. If that was true, think of where Paul would have ended up when he was Saul. Persecuting God's people without the redeeming grace of God, applying the blood of Jesus to his sins, he would have been doomed. And so would we all. So grace means he supplies us with undeserved favors. So I want to revisit these four dynamics of the Spirit in the way God awakens us and awakens people. And awakening is a good, a good word. About, first of all, the dynamic of uh, awakening to life in Christ. That was where I started, what I was talking about with my own life, being truly born again. It's something I didn't deserve. I was, and I think I've shared with you before, I was a church-going non-believer. I remember when I was about 12 going forward to receive Christ at the end of a service. I prayed a prayer. I remember my wicked motivations. If I do this, my mommy will be happy and she'll cry. And I was right. So I did that. And then I went to a pastor's class for baptism, and I had all the answers. I got a little pat on the head from Pastor Nader, who's probably with the Lord now. And, uh, you know, oh, what a bright guy. And I knew that, and I became a member of the church. And when I finally came to true faith, I had to come back to my another pastor and say, I don't know how to explain this. I'm a member of your church, but I shouldn't be. And I need to be baptized because I just got born again. And so I did. And he listened to my story and he recognized, yes, you're correct. This is where life really has begun for you. I don't know where you're at in your personal experience. You could be a member of this church and not be sure in your soul this morning of where you will step into the moment you pass through death's door, which every one of us will. Apart from Jesus coming back next week, I mean, all of us are going to walk through that door. I hope if we've done anything else, we've made it clear that that is what the gospel is all about. That's why these places called churches are here. That's why they're supposed to be here. They're not always doing their job, but that's why they're here. So that those who come under the sound of our preaching understand that there's a Savior who loves you who will rescue you. I remember listening to Billy. You ever listen to Billy Graham's sermons? They are plain. They are. He loves you. He'll forgive you. You come right now. Don't worry about your friends. They'll wait on you. Oh, I've heard it so many times. You know what I mean. And I mean, he's just straight up about salvation, sin. 
And they start coming. And who does the work? Not him. The Holy Spirit awakens them to their need for Jesus. I mean, he had no idea there was this hippie freak kid listening to him in a living room in Queens, New York. He knew later because I wrote him. <laughs> my, my, my testimony ended up in Decision Magazine twice, once after I got converted and once when we had the, the, uh, the festival up north. You know, I have the magazine somewhere. I can't find it. That's my life. I can never find anything. Anyway, that's another subject. Back on task. I reject that ADD. Okay. In the name of Jesus. All right. So first step, the first dynamic is being awakened to life in Christ. What we see in those grand meetings is people being invited into the family of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what's talked about in this text in Zechariah. Just this part I'd like to lift. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days... Ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now, I asked you a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, wouldn't it be fun to be witnessing for Jesus and having that kind of reaction? Instead of, well, what makes you think you're right? You know, why do you think you're better than everybody else, right? Which I don't. I know better than that. We're not better. We're just rescued. That's the only difference. What makes you think you're right? Instead, saying, people coming to you and say, what is it about you? I remember great, um, Jay prayed about it that way, right? That there'd be a little bit of Jesus manifested. Uh, the past president of Multnoba in um, Bible College in Oregon. Thank you for helping me out, Gene wrote a book called Lifestyle Evangelism. And uh, I remember one of his stories was uh, he, would, he was playing, I think, racquetball with a, an unsafe friend, and he would just keep playing racquetball. And the unsafe person was observing how he handled things. And he would hear him talk a little bit about what, the, what was going right in his family or whatever was happening. And the guy kept asking him, um, what... What, is, what are those principles that you're talking about all the time? Would you? Ch- oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, get, I'll share them with you. Some. Can you imagine? And, uh, yeah, yeah we'll get, let's get together and have coffee sometime. No, another game, and when it was over, would you t- would, what, what is it with you? I, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to know. Said, yeah, sometime I'll fill you. That guy had to be led by the Spirit. Most of us would have said, oh, yeah, right now, pin him to the floor. Here's Jesus, you know. He just kept tormenting him, kind of like teasing him along until the guy finally couldn't stand it anymore. You know, we're having coffee right now. You're going to tell me what this is all about. And he got born again, you know, flying into the kingdom. Wouldn't it be fun if it was that way? Well, that's what happens when the spirit moves in on a community. That's what when we, we talk about revival, we have these trite ideas about it. That's what real revival is. It impacts the church, and then it spills over to the community, and people do what that verse said. Tell us about your God. Help us know how to rest in him to come to faith. They will grasp a hold of him, saying, let us go with you. 
Well, a, a gentleman in the history of our nation was before we became an independent nation, we were still the colonies. Uh, an event occurred. Some of you probably have heard of it. This is back in the 1620s, the Great Awakening. Anybody ever heard of that? And what happened was the, the, the communities of the colonies were in pretty bad shape, morally and spiritually. There was a man named Jonathan Edwards. I've mentioned him before, probably one of the greatest uh, theologians of our early country. And um, he decided what is necessary is for the churches, hello, the churches to start asking God to help us. What a radical idea. I could sermonize right there. Let's put the title up. This is the title of his little booklet. That's the title. A humble attempt to promote the agreement and union of God's people throughout the world in extraordinary prayer for a revival of religion and the advancement of God's kingdom on earth according to scriptural promises and prophecies of the last time. How do you like that for title? (laughs) Let me see if I get this right. Yeah, here we go. Union of God's people promote the agreement and union throughout the world in in what? Extraordinary prayer. Not now I lay me down to sleep prayer, which is like almost every prayer meeting in America sometimes. Lord, my bunions are really killing me, and Lord, please heal me. Come on, there are more desperate things at stake, are there not? Especially in our culture today. Extraordinary prayer for a revival of religion. Oh, we don't like that word, religion. But back then, they were talking about Christianity. That's what it meant. He was referring to the gospel, to Christianity. And that from that, the advancement of God's kingdom on earth, according to scriptural promises and prophecies. By the way... His point verse in that booklet was the Zechariah text that I was just sharing with you. In those days, this is what was going to happen. Here's what he writes. In this chapter, Zechariah prophecies of the future, glorious advancement of the church. It is evident there is more intended than was ever fulfilled in the Jewish nation during Old Testament times. Something is coming, is what he's saying. In fact, if you believe the Bible, if you read the book of Romans, about the 11th chapter, there's going to be a humongous, that is a word, isn't it? A humongous ingathering of the Jewish people. There's going to be such a profound reviving work. So what Edwards understood is the first step to seeing this happen is that the church needs to be awakened. Evangelism is bringing awakening to the non-believer. When God brings awakening to his church, that is awakened life in the spirit. That's my next point. An awakened life, uh, awakened to life in the spirit. Under the influence of this, Many, many clergymen called their churches to prayer and they began to pray intensely. And suddenly, somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit broke out in power in what were the American colonies. Let me just read a little bit about it, if I may. 
The conditions he describes among the young people might sound much like conditions of today. This was Edwards coming to Northampton at a time when things were really in bad condition. Licentiousness. This is his, you got to get this old language thing. I'll explain it to us, all right? Licentiousness. Shameful immorality. Being licentious, loose, looseness. For some years, greatly prevailed among the youth of the town. Yeah, you young people, I'm watching you. There were many of them very much addicted to night walking and frequenting the tavern and lewd practices, wherein by some of their example exceedingly corrupted others. Party animals, that's it. (laughs) Then revival began in 1734 while Jonathan Edwards was preaching a series of sermons on justification by faith. Grace. Conversions began. First the young, then their elders. A notorious young woman was saved. It was like a flash of lightning to the young people. There were those who agonized and those who rejoiced, wrote Edwards. In the spring and summer, following anno, that means year, 1735, the town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It was never so full of love, listen to this, nor of joy, and yet so full of distress. When God starts to wrestle with you, don't expect it to all be fun. There was distress until they broke through to joy. By 1736, Edwards Church had 300 new converts, and the news of the revival had spread throughout New England. Let me explain the impact. Northampton only had 1,100 people living in it. 300 just got born again. Can you do the math? You only have to lead two or three other people to Christ and the whole town became believers. During little more than two years from 1740 to 1742, some 25,000 to 50,000 people were added to the New England churches out of a total population of only 300,000. It so changed the moral atmosphere in the colonies that it was termed the Great Awakening where it came from. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read this stuff and I break down sobbing. Has the Holy Spirit died? Has he gone out of business? Or can he still do this thing again? That was a very enthusiastic amen. I'm convinced it can. He can. So that's the story in Northampton. But all of it starts with the church awakening to the normal spiritual life. Let me go back to the definition of revival, just the first part that um, Richard Lovelace has in his book, The Dynamics of Spiritual Life. It's an outpouring of the spirit which does what? restores the people of God to normal spiritual life after a period of corporate declension. In other words, we slide down a little bit. Everybody remember that? Revival restores us to normal spiritual life. So I I let the indwelling or the the downward pull of gravity of indwelling sin gets me, and we'll we'll come back to this definition of 
first into formality, then ultimately into apostasy. Here's what the scripture says. When that hits a church, the next verse that uh, is in Zechariah, we, we, uh, we read through it when we were standing. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Why? Because the church will be awakened And when the church is awakened, the spirit has freedom to move in on the non-believers. Why? Because there's a ready receptor. How many stories, have you ever, I mean, I talked to over 45 years of ministry. I've talked to an awful lot of people. People going into different churches and trying to find answers to life and what's it all about. And they get nothing. Nothing. There has to be a receptor. There has to be some lively spiritual life going on to feed it to those who are searching. Other prophets say the same type of things. The mountain of the Lord will be exalted. People will go to the mountain of the Lord to let him teach us his ways. We'll beat our swords into plowshares. Everybody remember some of those? It's talking about the renewing work that happens as a result of uh, the church being awakened and massive conversions. People's lives being transformed. Undeserved. It's, it's undeserved grace that he awakens us. And I think, again, of those Billy Graham crusades, how many thousands and thousands of people's lives have been transformed? How many people have gone into ministry? He doesn't even know them. I had one desire. I wanted to shake the man's hand once. Never got to. I'm very bitter about it. <laughs> I will shake his hand later. I'll get another shot. We didn't even have a conversation then. That'll be great. Anyway, speaking of the normal, being restored to normal spiritual life, I had more response last week from this graph that I put up. Did it provoke anybody? Okay, I'm glad I provoked you. I was, um, I was so happy because people were, their wheels were going around about it. So I decided after I did it, I don't like it anymore. So, so I redid it. Here's why I redid it. Okay. I, yes, I used different color. I made it neater. And, and I needed what? I did add a line, and there's a reason. Very. Ooh. So, here, here's, here's these. Which one do you think is the healthy one? That's growing, right? So the normal spiritual life should look something about like that green one, okay? So I start off, I become, I become alive in Christ, I have my ups and downs, I'm studying the Bible, it gets boring. Oh, somebody brought me to a special meeting, I got whacked in the forehead by the Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? I go, oh, I better, I, whoops, I'm doing the wrong one. Thank you for turning that off, I would have just messed everything up. And I make a jump forward, then I have a little trouble, and then over here I go through something really traumatic, perhaps, but I keep coming up, and my latter end is still higher than here and higher than here, right? Because I always end up thinking, oh, how many of you have ever said to yourself, I- I'm worse now than when I first, oh, man. Just... No, you're all pretty happy with yourselves. Okay, good. <laughs> all right, so anyway, I'll, I'll be putting my resume out soon. And, um then there are people who do like this. Bam! Woohoo! Everything's wonderful. You know, they last about three years and then, yeah, I'm mad. I'm out. 
Bible talks about people like that, the different soils. Remember the stories of the soils? So they receive it with joy. And then a while out, the cares of the world, searching for money, they're offended, somebody picks on them. Hey, if you're going to live righteously in Christ Jesus, you will be. Just embrace it. Enjoy it. Right? Oh, I love being picked on. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm exaggerating, okay? Here's the other one, though. I, um, you know, somebody that really crashes and burn here down, he's off the chart. He's not even, like, going to church anymore or anything. Here's the one I left out that I thought needs to be explained. Because when you talk about Billy Graham and transformation and all of that kind of thing, people think, well, I was raised around this all the time, right? Some of us, I grew up with this. I don't remember when I didn't believe. Anybody ever feel like that? I don't remember. All right, so here's what happens. You come into the Christian life. You don't even perceive it. Look how low that is. You're moving along following along in your family's footsteps, whatever it might happen to be, the context is where you're being, you're being trained in it, you're embracing it, you're acknowledging it, believing it. Somewhere in here, though, whether you perceive it or not, new birth has to happen. If it's really happened, you look back and go, I know that it happened. I don't know exactly when, but here's why I know. Because these truths about justification by faith or that my righteousness is inadequate, all became alive to me at some point. I recognized what was going on. So somewhere along the line, new birth happened, and something kicked it to where I get up here, and I started to experience a little bit better, more exciting dimension of this in my life. And then later on, something else moves me higher, and then I might have some dips too, but I'm on the journey here. See it? I'm on the journey. I may not be this far along, but I'm on that journey. And by the way, people raised in a Christian household, gee, we got some missionary kid running around the world, Mr. McGrail. You know, so what did she do? She was like this, and she went, Hope it stays that way, right? Amen? Yeah, so you get what I'm saying? So I'm sharing that because some people go, oh, oh. I'm going to tell you, anytime I hear somebody say, well, my testimony isn't exciting. Really? So you saved yourself. Amazing. It's always exciting. You've got the living God, the spirit of Jesus indwelling you if you're born again. By the way, when I talk like this, if you're listening to me saying, what is he talking about? Please come and talk to me. Talk to somebody. Risk calling that mean girl Jody and making an appointment. Okay? All right. Get the idea. I forgot to read about Billy Graham's thing here, but that's all right. We're past that. Speaking of normal Christian life, how many of you think that uh, Billy Graham is going to be in one of the nicest McMansions in heaven, huh? Huh? You think he did okay? I, I, I want you to watch this clip. Please. You said once that you looked forward to death because it would be freedom from bondage. Mm-hmm. Do you still feel that way? Yes, I surely do. I'm bound by this body. I'm bound by uh, thoughts that I shouldn't have. What? I'm bound by 
all kinds of uh, bondages that we have as as human beings. I don't want them to say big things about me because I don't deserve them. I want to hear one person say something nice about me, and that's the Lord. When I face him, I want him to say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I'm not sure I'm going to hear it, but that's what I would like to hear. What? What? I mean, everybody here would have said, he's going to get it. Check that off, right? Check that off. Am I right or wrong? You know I'm right. We tell, oh, check that off. Billy Graham, are you kidding? That is the normal Christian life. I've got struggles. I've got bondages. I want to hear that. I'm not totally sure. Yeah, wow. I like that. Wow. Maybe we could learn something. What do you think? I'm hoping I get well done. I'm not totally sure. Reminds me of Jim Bays when he went to be with the Lord. He told me one day we were having a chat. He said, uh, I had a dream. And in my dream, I saw Jesus. And I was saying, how did I do? And and, uh, Jesus looked at me and said, not bad. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I don't know about you. I'd be happy to get, not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. (laughs) Oh, who has more fun than people? My wife always says. Anyway, awakened to life in Christ, awakened to the normal Christian life. Are you following me? We've seen very little of it, just to be blunt. What does it mean to walk in humility with each other, to walk in Christ in the Spirit? Richard Lovelace talking about Edwards' view of of spiritual renewal said that he increasingly stressed that the core of the awakening was not an emotional experience, that's where people get off track, but a spirit-given apprehension of the reality of God. Why do I always say unbelief is our besetting sin? Our behavior proves that he doesn't exist to us. Even though... I I have to stay on task, but the way we even act at worship indicates that he's not really here to you. Are we talking to him? That's what we should be doing. And other people are trying to talk to him too. Edwards increasingly stressed the core of the awakening was a spirit-given apprehension of the reality of God, listen to this, which purged the heart and led inevitably to a meek and lamb-like spirit and to an outflow of good works. And all of God's people said, Amen. Next, there's an awakening that happens in the community. In my personal spirit, in the church, and the awakening in the community, the first community is this one. And then it spills out into the other community, into the culture, if you will. And that's what your answers, your fill-ins on your bulletin are about. But let me uh, revisit the definition again of revival, if we could. Revival is, do we have that one? The next one up? Uh, 
Uh, right after Awaken to Life and Community. Undeserved blessing, right? Revival's an outpouring of the Spirit, we just said this, which restores the people of God to normal spiritual life after declension. Next line goes on. You got the next one? There it is. Periods of awakening alternate with these as God... Yeah, you don't, you don't pay for it. It's undeserved. There is something we can do. We can't make revival happen. We can't make new birth happen, can you? All you can do is you can be a faithful witness and you can pray to be empowered by the Spirit and for the Spirit to work on them. Our job is to pray. His job is to do his work of making life happen. Periods of awakening alternate with that downgrade with these as God graciously breathes new life into his people. You know how the chart I put up made our wheels go around? That statement should make our wheels go around. Where's our church on the chart? Are we in declension? People feel because we're healthier than we were five years ago that we're revived? No. Where are the churches at in our community? Are they in declension? When they don't know which ends up and they're telling people sinning is a good thing and everything's backwards, I would say that's declension, wouldn't you? And then if that doesn't happen, it gets worse than that as he'll uh, expand that idea in a few minutes later. Periods of awakening alternate as God graciously breathes new life into his people. Remember when I preached on seasons of refreshing? Repent and turn so that seasons, time after time after time of refreshing, may come from the presence of the Lord. That's what we need. That's what churches need. And it helped, for me, it helped explain everything to me. I don't know about you, it helped. I took courses in seminary on church history. I got through all that It was like, oh, uh, yes, and then Saint so-and-so, and then Saint so and then that happened, and this happened. I was like, wow, I'm so excited. I can hardly stay awake in class. And, uh, and then I discovered this principle of seasons of refreshing, and the lights came. I said, that explains it. You mean all those characters we were reading about that were so world famous? That was a work of the Spirit. How come you didn't tell me that in class? Oh, I'm just so mad about that. But anyway, it explained why the churches are dull or why they're excited, why it works and why it doesn't work. You get what I'm saying? And why there are seasons that people are ingathered and seasons that people are repulsed. So rather than lose your faith over that, start praying for an ingathering again and for a renewal in the church of Jesus. Here's what it said in the book of Acts. Remember that whole thing that we're sharing their possessions with one another in, in Acts chapter 2, right? Here's the verse. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Gladness and praising God and having favor with all the people. And what was the byproduct? Not them. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that cool? That's a little bit of the normal Christian life. That's a restoration work of God. It, oh, well, that was the book of Acts. That was the planning of the church. That can never happen again. Oh, you better read. 
It has happened again and again and again. Little booklet I picked up, I, I, I could go on for like six months on this subject, but I'm not going to. The Laws of Revival by James Byrne, written about the nine, 1900s or so. A little uh, section here I wanted to share. It says, Each revival is characterized by the extraordinary swiftness with which it spreads. Once the first few words of the new message are spoken, mysterious forces arise. That's the Holy Spirit. Like the wind and carry them from place to place and it bursts out all over. Luther's nailing of the 98th thesis on the church door at Wittenberg, Wittenberg to say it right, seemed to be of little importance, but it was a spark to a dry forest, and the fire that it began has yet to be put out. The Reformation was a revival. Then Wesley stood up in the open air to address a crowd of illiterate miners. No one knew that it would be the beginning of one of the largest Protestant churches in the world. Anybody know what he's talking about? Methodism. There are Methodist churches on every corner in every city. That was a movement of the Spirit bringing souls into the kingdom and growing up disciples all around. I could go on and on and on about it. But the fact is, the church was renewed and raised up. But the spillover goes past that into the culture. That's the last thing I want to say. And the way I can explain that is just to share this little article uh, that was preached by the late J. Edwin Orr, a scholar on the subject. In fact, he wrote the hymn, if any of you are old enough to remember, uh, Search Me, O God, Know My Heart Today. Um, yeah, what's the name of it? Um, search Me, O God. That's profound, isn't it? Yeah, that's, Search Me, O God. It's a revival song. He wrote it. He was a scholar on the subject, and um, this is actually on video, and it's a riot to watch him uh, preach on this. It's so hard for me to get through it. But in the 1900s, the early 1900s, evangelicals were back at serious prayer for God to move again in a reviving way around the world. And wherever there were evangelicals, Korea, Wales, America, there were, and India, there was prayer for a moving of the Spirit. When it hit in America, this is 1906, I believe, the ministers of Atlantic City reported that of a population of 50,000 in that city, they knew of only 50 adults who were unconverted. In Portland, Oregon, 240 department stores closed from 11 to 2 for prayer and signed an agreement among themselves so that no one would cheat and stay open. That was happening in the U.S. in 1905. But the revival of 1905 in the United States was linked to the famous Welsh revival of 1904, which swept like a tidal wave over Wales. Some of you may have heard of it, right? You guys have. Where 100,000 people were converted in a five-month period. 100,000 people in a five-month period. You want to have some fun? Listen to this. Five years later, J.P. Morgan wrote a book to debunk the revival. His main criticism was that of the 100,000 that joined the churches in the five months of the revival, after five years, only 80,000 were still there. <laughs> Hashtag fake news. Anyway, 
Only 80,000 for crying out loud. Only. Can you imagine? The social impact of the Wales revival was astounding. Judges were presented with white gloves. They had no cases to try. No rapes, no robberies, no murders, no burglaries, no embezzlements, nothing. District councils, consuls, held emergency meetings to discuss what to do with the police now that they were unemployed. This is true, by the way. He said some of these stories, when you see his video, he said some of these stories I thought were tall tales, and I documented it from Westminster Abbey. What to do with the police? Little sidebar. Uh, As he tells the story, when they talk to the police, what do you guys do now? He says, well, you know, our job has always been to deal with crime or to deal with crowds. So now we just go where the crowds are. The crowds are all in the churches. So if any church needs a quartet, the police quartet comes and sings for them in their churches. And that's their job. (laughs) Did I lose my paper? Did it just go so? No, I got it. Here's the last thing about the impact on the culture. Drunkenness was cut in half. The illegitimate birth rate dropped by 44% in two counties within a year of the beginning of the revival. So great was its impact. I don't know about you. I'd be happy to have one one-hundredth of that fall on God's people today. We can't do it, but God can. And the answer for our job, our side, is prayer. And that's why I'm calling us to prayer. There are prayer requests that are going to go out to our small groups so that we can reinforce. Tonight is prayer meeting. Not everybody can make it. This is not a guilt trip or anything else. But I want to ask for a fresh move of the Spirit to bring us to normal spiritual life and that it might spill over on those who need to know Jesus for real. Maybe they're sitting in this room today and a lot of them are outside of here today and that that would be our portion in the days ahead. I'm going to ask you to stand and join with me as we close in prayer. King Jesus... You are a king, and you rule a kingdom. And we are your subjects if we put our trust in you. And therefore, we live by rules that are a little different than the world in which we live. May our lights shine so that our Father in heaven might be glorified. Father, we pray in the great name of Jesus that you would help us in these days ahead. I'm asking, Lord, that as we pray, not that we deserve anything or that we earn it or that we can uh, earn points with you in some way, but that you would bend down and listen and hear us. And so, God, I want to pray as we close the great prayer of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Oh, God, send us the Holy Spirit. Give us both the breath of spiritual life and the fire of unconquerable zeal. You are our God. Answer us by fire, we pray. Answer us both by wind and fire, and then we shall see that you are God indeed. 
Your kingdom comes not. The work is flagging. Oh, that you will send the wind and the fire. You will do this when we are of one accord, all believing, all expecting, all prepared by prayer. Lord, bring us to this waiting state. Help us. You are ready to work with us today, even as you did back then. Stay not, we plead with you, but work at once. Break down every barrier that hinders the incoming of your might. Give us now both hearts of flame and tongues of fire. To preach your word for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day. If you are unsure of your status in Christ, we would love to talk with you.